Welcome back to Resource Families Thrive, National Adoption Month, Part 2. This is Daniel from Pathways to Permanency. Please remember to like, comment, and share on our various social media posts. You can find us on Facebook through Stanford Sierra Youth and Families. Remember to also check out our website at ssyaf.org. We are joined by a couple of families who have walked along this journey quite successfully. So I will let you all introduce yourselves, whoever wants to go first. My name is Whitney, and this is my husband, Bill. And we adopted our daughter just over three years ago, but we met her almost exactly four years ago this month. We met her when she was 10 years old, so it was an older child adoption, and we adopted her about eight, nine months later when she was 11 years old. And now she's a freshman in high school, and I like to think that she's thriving. I'm Christina. I'm Darren. Uh, We adopted our daughter a little over a year ago, but she's been with us for almost not quite two years. I'm really glad that you're all able to join me today. Uh, So I guess my first question is, what made you get into this process of foster to adopt? For me personally, um, we had thought about it, we contemplated it, um, but then kind of life was, life was just busy, let's put it that way. And then I actually was teaching at the uh, university and I was doing a lecture and after class, a student came in and talked to me about her experience of being in 21 foster homes. And it, it hit me at my core, um, hit me in my heart quite a bit and thought, and I, it, it didn't leave me. The memory or discussion did not leave me. I came home and my husband and I talked and I mean, to be honest, we'd been talking about it but it gave me the push to really go, I think it's time for me personally. And and we had talked about adoption. Um, And, you know, we did, you know, talking about international adoption had also come up or domestic adoption, but then, you know, that conversation, you know, about foster care, about how many kids are in need and you don't need to go to another country to um, find a child who, uh, you know, to connect with a child who, you know, who needs a home. Sometimes people forget that there's kids right in our own backyard that need a home. I think our path was somewhat similar. We got married older. Um, I have a stepson through my husband and we just wanted to grow the family. It's just really simple for us and i think for a nanosecond we considered international adoption but for me there just seemed to be too many risks associated in with international adoption and particularly the post-adoption support It's, it's like you know it's easy to get the child home and now you've got a whole slew of things you have to address And just like Christina said, our thinking shifted towards domestic adoption because we were older, we did not want an infant. 
And that just started us looking more seriously at the foster to adopt process. And we just followed that path with the trainings and educating ourselves. We had to stop briefly and then restart the process. And I think our experience of kind of the fits and starts and reconsidering and changing our thinking around it, I think it's pretty typical. And in the end, we adopted a child through foster care who just really fits in so beautifully with our family. It, you know, it's, it's really been terrific. We were contacted actually by um, a, so, a state social worker. She had been made a ward of the yeah, state so. prior to her uh, becoming available for adoption. Yeah. And uh, this particular social worker recognized that our daughter was, you know, right on that cusp of, you know, where if she didn't get adopted, that it was going to be very difficult for her. And um, so we, we went up and met her and it was, I, I don't know if you, if you guys remember that first experience, but it, oh, was, yeah. um, it was awkward. Um, I remember that. And it was awkward for everyone involved. Right. And, you know, here's. We were being checked out by the foster parent who was absolutely in love with our daughter. We were checking them out. The social workers were, and we had not only the county social workers because she was adopted from a separate county, from our county, which is Sacramento County. And then we had the state social worker. And so I just felt like everybody's checking each other out, you know, at this first, there's a lot of pressure on that first meeting. We know that, that our daughter was not thriving in foster care, even though she was getting, she was, yeah, she was well cared for. She was well cared for. It was a safe haven, but yeah. she wasn't developing. These, these kids deserve a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of investment to, to be able to thrive. Uh, well, uh, just to share something when um, talking about first meeting and being nervous, um, uh, our daughter actually just shared with us recently. She said, do you remember when we first met? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I was nervous. And I was like, so were we. So were we. <laughs> and, and she was only five at the time. So oh, wow. she recognized that she was nervous. That's, that says a lot to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest kind of aha moment for us once you know, once we had adopted her and she was living with us is that she started to really push back and, you know, um, be not, not difficult, but really be, uh, just testing the boundaries, testing the boundaries yeah. and being, and seeing if know, we really were going to be there for her, you know, sort of and, thing. You know, our daughter didn't wait. She was no honeymoon. But she had had three placements in one year. Oh, um, we were the fourth placement in that one year. In so. just one year. I was going to say about that first meeting too, you know, the way the house was set up, you know, as we were walking to the front door, you could see that she was looking out the window, waiting to see who was going to come to the door. And I just, I think I, oh, the whole thing is about empathy and trying to put myself in her shoes and imagine what that must have been like to be told, 
you know, and, and her social workers in her home county worked with her for a long time because they kind of knew she was headed towards the adoption track. And so they have really prepped her for this first meeting and what to expect. But even so, to be standing at a living room window, looking out, seeing who's gonna show up, I can't imagine how she processed that. Um, it, I, you know, it was nervous for us. It must've been almost terrifying for her. And, ugh. When did you really realize, yeah, this is gonna be forever? There, there wasn't really one moment, I, I have to say that. I mean, I wanna make that clear. Um, but I mean, over time, it, let's just say life events have happened and it's amazing to say our daughter like those words our daughter has been really um such a two powerful words i mean over time because you didn't we didn't say it at first i mean sometimes we would say our foster daughter whatever it may be right once the adoption went through we felt so comfortable saying our daughter and it was amazing because it was just like there was some pride in that. There was some amazing pride in that. And then just sometimes when you see life events happen, you know, whether it's something on the news of a, of a tragic event or something like that, you know, my first thought now is going like, I never want to have that happen to our daughter or, or, you know, like all of a sudden you really have this, I mean, I couldn't imagine my life without her now. And it was just this, for me anyway, it was this gradual, as she came into our family, because she is a perfect, she is perfect for us. She really is, just like Whitney was talking about their daughter. Our daughter fits in so well into the family. She, she, it's almost like as if she's part of my husband and part of me, like her personality, everything. Yeah. Mannerisms, uh, mood swings, everything. <laughs> and she's a part of us. And... I don't know, there wasn't really one moment, I can't say that for me personally, but I could say over time, it was amazing and, I, and my heart just kind of felt like, I mean, like it was bursting, like any other parent would say, my, my child, our daughter, those kinds of things. And over time, when you say those things and when life events happen, that mama bear kicks in and man, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It really is. I, I, I'm with you guys where I don't think there was any moment where I'm like, oh, you know, suddenly she's mine. I, I, from that first meeting, I would say when I first read her description and there were a few things in there that I said, oh, she sounds like the one for us. It was really from that moment in the, where I thought, this, this is good because we had been presented just on paper with a couple of other young girls, um, but Sierra was the one who um, really stood out on paper. For me, it was really about, oh, we're going to meet the girl who will become our daughter. And, and it was always like the, the, the floodgates were wide open. And I, I really can't think of anything that could have happened. One of the things I, I, I've said before is one of the, the 
the beauties of older child adoption is they have a history. They have a history in school. They have a history with foster parents. So you so, know so much going in, at least we did, that there really weren't any major red flags for us. Everything we read, we were like, okay, that sounds great. That sounds fine. So when we've met her for the first time, at least I was prepared to say, oh yeah, this is the child who will become our daughter. I just wanted to say, it's interesting when you talk about, um, if you will, the, the paper, the description of the child, it's interesting with our daughter. Um, you know, we never set out to uh, adopt a child who might have some mild exceptional needs, but we wind up doing that. Um, on paper, to a lot of families, she looked, and we know this from what we've talked about from social workers and from various events, like the picnics and those kinds of things, that um, on paper, she looks scary to a lot of families. Mm -hmm. And for us, she didn't look scary. No. She looked... I mean, it sounds silly, but we're both, we're both teachers. We're both in the field of actually special education. And to us, she looked like this, if you will, this challenge, not in a bad way, but in a way of servicing her needs that we knew a lot of people couldn't do. And it, it has turned out that way. When I say I'm a mama bear now, <laughs> her education, her social development, everything um, is really important to us. And, and I mean, she was meant to be in her family. You can see that. And, and so in some ways, I'm kind of glad that that paper looks scary to a lot of other families. <clears throat> she became a part of our family. Yeah, I think that also speaks to as an, a, a potential foster adopt parent is knowing yourself and knowing what child you are able and interested in parenting. And I think that speaks to working very closely with your social workers during the whole home study process. And I went in there to the home study process with one idea and through the conversations and the questions and answers, uh, kind of shifted my thinking about what our family would look like. And I've said this before, I'm glad to have had that opportunity with the social workers. And I just encourage people to listen to your social workers because they really have so much experience. Uh, you may question the direction they're taking you, but listen to them and be open to what they have to say because they have a lot of experience. <laughs> we didn't. Now for us, um, we were in the process for almost a year, not quite. And we had been called many times about various children. It either didn't work out, they chose another family. And that's something important for parents that are coming in, looking at being fostered to adopt. Um, you can put your name in for kids. Um, and it's so weird to say that, but put your name in for um, a sibling or a child specific or whatever. And it's hard because sometimes you're like, I think this is the kid. I think this is the one. And then um, they go with another family. The social workers, the team go with another family. And sometimes you're like, well, what's wrong with our family? Like uh -huh. you, you kind of get really second guess yourself. You, you second guess yourself a little bit. Um, but then of course, I mean, for us in the end, 
Um, it was the right fit, don't get me wrong. But through this process, we really want parents to know, hold on for the ride, because it's a long ride of sometimes you get the call and they're like, mm, they went with another family. Um, that's, that's really hard. And then sometimes you do get the call. And then when you find out in the disclosure something that maybe isn't the right fit for your family, you do feel really bad because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, your your heart is like we, I would take any kid. Like you in your mind, you're like, I'll take any kid. But then when when it comes down to it, you do need to make sure it's right for the for the family and for the child. Yeah. It took a long time. And that's something we want parents to realize. The patience, the understanding, the I mean, patience is a big word. What kind of supports have you needed through this process too? Like it sounds like a long journey and I'm sure that you had supports and then I'm sure even now there are things that you still need as you're continuing this path. I'm sure the journey's not over. No. Um, well, for us very early on, and I do tell people we're, we're honest about this, like she was with us and, um, um, you know, as a family and going forward and all that stuff, um, she had been with us about four or five weeks, maybe five or six, I'm not sure. Um, and we had a bit of come to Jesus moment and mm -hmm. it definitely caught us by surprise. Um, we are teachers, we work with kids, we have worked with very difficult children. Um, yes. and we had a come to Jesus moment and we went to the family support group and that was so important mm -hmm. to listen to other people going through exactly the same thing. We, we would joke who at the end of the first meeting was, we kind of half jokingly <laughs> said, thank you for your pain. And, and because it was like, it, we needed to see other people struggling. Yeah. Cause you're like, Oh, struggling is kind of normal. Like this is not an entirely natural process. And so, um, sometimes it works out really smoothly and it's perfect, you know, and, and I get that, but you know, sometimes it isn't. And, um, and so having the other people there just going through the same thing is, was super important for us. The support group was so important because here we thought as teachers, because as teachers were like, oh, we've got this, we got the structure, we have the routines, you know, we are, you know, we love our students. Like once they're our students, they're always our students, you know, kind of thing. So this child coming into our home, we've got this. Um, those ups and downs we didn't anticipate as a parent versus a teacher is a totally different realm. <laughs> yeah. And and to hear other people go, no, no, we are, because there's a couple in the group that were social work. One of them was a social worker themselves, you know, and they were like, no, no, there are these real struggles that you didn't anticipate as a parent. And hearing that, I mean, it, it was those kind of come to Jesus moments of saying, no, this is okay. And it's okay to trip. It's okay to have those moments and those vulnerable moments. That was key. And those support groups were um, really critical in the process. Yeah. No, we haven't had a lot of drama. I will say this, um, our daughter had a has a really good relationship with her foster mother who's quite a bit older and and so refers to her as grandma and then she also has a family member uh who is not her mother but s serves in, in, a, in 
an auntie role. And it's it's her, her, yeah. Yeah. And so she checks in with them regularly. And I think having that continuity with those other uh, strong relationships in her past, that has helped ground our daughter quite a bit. And we feel fortunate for those relationships and we continue to support those relationships. Um, and that that's helped a lot. There are such a variety of kids out there and they are all, in my opinion, wonderful. And it's really comes down to just matching them with a family where they can reach their potential and thrive. Um, and so in terms of what kind of additional support, we haven't had to call on a lot of additional support. Uh, it's, it's just been a, a fairly smooth ride from the word go. And I'm happy to report that our issues in our home are just, you know, would you help clean up with the dishes and let's check your homework to make sure it's done. I mean, just really regular family stuff, you know, you need to turn out the light and restricting the amount of time on the, um, you know, the phone, yada, yada. Well, and I think that for, for our daughter, when she first came to us and she was in fifth grade, fifth I think grade. Yeah. she had never done a bit of homework in school in her life because that had nothing to do with her survival. Um, and so we were, you know, trying to get her into that regular thing of homework. And it was a very, di- that was difficult because she didn't see that homework had anything to do with her survival. Tutors have been our support network. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so we struggled with that for a while. And it's, you know, I, I think that one of the things, and we didn't, re- I don't think we really recognized it until last spring when COVID hit that she really has a hard time with other kids around her. And in terms of distractions, in terms of distractions. So she's thriving during this um, distance learning that, that we're doing right now. Um, And I think that this is the, it it actually works best for her. And so we've, you know, discovered a lot of new things, um, you know, and I think one of the things we still struggle with, and, and maybe this is just a, a result She's a of, teenager now. Well, not so much that, but that as a result of her having been in and out of foster care for so long and been living in different places, she has never um, had the ability nor wanted to make friends because that I think that she was always, she would she was always at risk of losing those friendships. So she just won't, she still does not make an effort to make friends. What do you do when your child asks questions about their family or their past? What do you say to them? Uh, We are very open and honest with our daughter um, because her birth parents, um, there's a lot of drug activity. There's been a lot of, um, there was a lot of neglect, um, both edu- health-wise, medically, um, nutrition-wise, um, educationally, all that kind of stuff. We have been very honest with her at a level, I mean, she's only seven now, 
but I mean, we, we are honest to a level for her. And um, that's because we always want to be open and honest with her. We want that. Um, we want her to know that she can trust us and be open with her and have that open dialogue. So there's a lot of times she'll ask questions. Um, the same question. The same questions. And sometimes over and over again, but we're very honest. We're very, and sometimes a little bit robotic too, because some, there's some questions we can't answer um, because we don't have the knowledge about it. I mean, like she's asked if her birth parents are still alive. And, you know, that's a really hard question because at the time of her adoption, her, that they, they couldn't find her birth parents um, because they were on the streets. And we've had to be very honest with her and say, we don't know. I mean, like when COVID came around, are my parents safe? Um, those are all really, I mean, those are profound questions from a seven-year-old. We've been very honest with her and say, you know, we don't know where they are. We hope that they are safe. Or, you know, we hope that they are making good choices and getting help. Um, but we've been very honest with her and say, um, you know, that her social worker doesn't know where mom and dad, her birth mom and dad are. And those are kinds of things that um, it's hard for a seven-year-old, but we also don't want to push that away because we want her to feel comfortable. We know that she had a past before she came to us. A past she remembers. And a past, yeah. So you can't, you can't take that away from her. It's not okay. Um, that's a part of her story. And so these are hard questions to answer with her, but yet we sit down and have those discussions. And if she needs to cry it out, we're there. We help her through it. Um, but we're honest with her. We have to be yeah. um, for her. She needs that. She craves that honesty. Yeah. And, and she's asked, sometimes she's asked questions or she said something that has brought up something about her past, yeah. which, you know, she'll see a TV show and, you know, a, a baby mm -hmm. is born and the mom holds the baby. You know? mm -hmm. And and she'll say something like, oh, so when I was baby, my mom cried and, you know, blah, blah. And she'll talk about like, like, like a normal baby would be home with the mom. And we've had to say, that's not what happened with you. Mm -mm. Um, you were in the hospital because your mom was taking bad drugs. Like we had to be very honest and open with it and say, that's not what happened. Like that's, that's not your story. You know, you, you were in the in the hospital for a long time and your mom did do those things. Like she didn't do those things for you. Right. And, and you know, we touched on it. She's going to be older before we can really explain about, you know, the parents had her and then they lost her and then they had her and then, they, you know, like it was, it was in and out. She was in and out multiple times with her birth parents mm -hmm. and she doesn't, she knows that intellectually. Like she, she, she's been told that, but I don't think she really understands it in any way. You know, she's going to be older and I'm sure she's going to keep asking the questions. And as she gets older, we're going to be able to answer those questions more directly right. and, and even add that information that she might be looking for. I think, yeah, we, we've exactly the same art because our daughter was older. She lived it. She knows why she was available for adoption. She, she has the firsthand knowledge for her, when she came to us, it was mostly worrying a bit that she would be safe, that nobody would come in the middle of the night and take her away. That was, that was her big issue. And I also put a, 
and age them. She wanted to know a lot of detail about why she was no longer with her first family. I, let, I, I pulled out some of the paperwork and I X'd out that part that she shouldn't be reading at her age. And so she read it. And then I said, there is more information. And when you turn 15, we will have this conversation. I just threw that age out there. So she knows the information is coming. She's not going to be asking about it all the time. She's 14 and a half now. So I think, you know, she's at a maturity level where she can handle that. So we don't get a whole lot of those questions about her origin and what, what happened. Um, but there is still the need for conversation because there will be these external uh, sources of questioning uh, that she has to come to terms with and we help her address how to communicate her history to people she might not be very excited about sharing that information with. Um, and as she's gotten older, she doesn't ask as many questions. I think she's pretty comfortable. Uh, and there has been a noted shift in her curiosity about her past from when she first moved in to where she is now four years later. And she's just, she is all about where she is now and where she's going in her future. What do you wish that you had been told as you went through this journey? I think someone that someone going in has to understand is that whether this kid has a long history or file doesn't mean you're going to have access to all that information right away. And it doesn't mean that there's a lot of things medically that you're just going to have to like, you're going to have to wait it out. You're going to have to wait till you get that information. It's not Mm -hmm. all just going to, they're not just going to hand you big stacks of files and say, here you go, just go through them. That's not how this works. And that's something that's, that I think people do need to know is that you do know some information, but there's some information you don't know. Yeah. And, it will, and you will, you will eventually find out the information, but, and then sometimes you have to do the looking yourself. And, and I also want to say, particularly for people who want to come in and want to be fostered to adopt parents, it's a journey. Um, it's not a race. It's, it's a journey. It's a, and it, there are roller coasters and there are things you know, people would share with me, um, we have friends that have adopted, but they, they adopted like six, seven, probably even eight, nine years ago. And they kept saying to me, patience, patience is key. It's a rocky road, but patience is key. And sometimes you kind of look in this journey and you go, okay, well, when, when is this going to kick in? When is, you know, like you're itching, you're itching for it to for the family to kind of solidify if it makes sense like this i think the best advice i i ever received was it's about the patience it's about taking the journey taking the 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 journey for what it is and in the end it's a really good journey i'm glad i went through it i have no regrets that's why we're going through it again a second time but it's a rocky journey and you just kind of have to ride the ride and it's, it's going to be bumpy sometimes, and that is okay. But in the end, it comes out smoother. And you, you do get to the end of the ride, and it's, it's kind of a cool ride, and you want to go back on it again. But it's, it's tough sometimes. I think for me, 
going from not having kids in the house to having a kid in the house, there was an adjustment mm. and it takes a while for a family to sort of redefine itself and get into its groove. And, and I remember I took my daughter on a little road trip to go visit friends. Uh, and it, it was the first time it was just she and I alone together for an extended period of time. And it wore me out. I was so ready to come home to my husband and say, here you go. Uh, and I think that was for me, one of the adjustments. Also, I wasn't prepared for, and my husband mentioned this earlier, the constant comparing our daughter did during the first, I would say year between her previous parent and me, it was her mother and me, and it's always this comparison and, and it's very normal. I remember they talked a little bit about this in the trainings where the child will just speak of their previous parent in the most glowing terms. I mean, to hear my daughter talk, you know, this place she grew up was wonderful and they grew vegetables and they had farm animals and it was beautiful and it smelled good and it just, everything was just, and I thought to myself, gosh, if, did I take a home a child that had a better life that I, you know, you know, I just had these doubts that maybe what I was doing wasn't measuring up to something she experienced before, but realized that none of this was actually possible or she wouldn't have been where she was in terms of being available for adoption. But it does, there, there will be times where you question what you're doing and you just have to stay the course. And eventually all these things, like I said, your family finds its groove and it looks different than it did, you know, six months earlier. I haven't done it because I'm way too busy with other things, but to keep some kind of a diary or journal so you can really appreciate just how far you've come because you lose sight of that. And we are so far beyond where we were three years ago, just in terms of functioning as a family. Appreciate how far you've come and recognize that where you're headed is gonna look a whole lot different down the track. So the follow-up to that one is what were you glad that you were told through this process? When people, when we went to the first training and they were describing the process, people would, they would describe like kind of the generalities of the process. And that process has even changed even today mm -hmm. with the different legalities and such. So, I mean, that's going to be even a different process now, but what I appreciated them saying was someone would ask a question and they would say, well, is it going to be like this? And they would say, yeah, could be. And then they said, well, could it be like this? Yeah, could be. Like every time someone asked this, you know, like a hypothetical situation, mm -hmm. the answer was yes. Uh, and, and so they reiterated, reiterated that your journey is not going to be exactly, there is not a process for this. Like there's the idealized, this is how we're supposed to do this. 
And then there's the what actually happens. And they were very clear on that. And so I could, I could share that with my family and share that with my friends to say, because they would have the same questions. Well, could it be like this? Could it be like that? And I would, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like it was always, yes, it could be like that. And I think for me, that's, that was probably the most, that's the thing that I remember taking away from that training more than anything else. And actually for me, it's actually, it wasn't all the training stuff. It's actually during this process from, from her joining our family to the adoption to even now, it's talking with other families. Because sometimes you're thinking, oh, is this, is this as a result of her trauma or is this a result of her um, experience, her lived experience? And no, sometimes I've had to go to friends and go, They've had to sit with me and go, oh, no, sweetheart, this is kids. This is this is life as a parent. People with their biological children, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. I needed, I, I yeah, don't, know about, I too. I don't yeah. know about the rest of you, but I mean, for me, I needed that. That was the most support I could ever use. Yeah, I think, you know, someone just saying, you know, you know, sometimes six-year-olds are jerks. Like, <laughs> it's not trauma. They're just, that's a kid, you know, and that's, that, that's just a kid. That. Like we, we had some people in our training that um, mm -hmm. had their own biological child and they were very good at some, telling the other parents like, oh, no, that, that's kids. That's like, kids. no, that's her son. He's a lovely child. But when he was five, he did blank and he was not nice. And yeah, right. really. Yeah, I agree with that. I think people get scared of teenagers for that reason, too. When I was a support counselor doing behavior counseling before I got into recruitment, uh, there was one family I was working with who called me up in a panic one day saying that their 16 year olds needed AOD treatment and all of this other stuff. He needed inpatient alcohol intervention because he had stolen a bottle of champagne with his friends and they had drank it all. <laughs> and so I told them, you need to take a quick pause and breathe for a second. He has no habit of this. And he's a 16-year-old boy who stole a bottle of champagne. And sometimes <laughs> that is typical. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not celebrating that he did it. But also, it's I've worked within with... within the realm of normal. Yep. I've, I've worked with teenagers who have done things like that. I got to know the parents really, really well. So in some cases, I would be able to say... I know for a fact that when you were a teenager, you talked about how you would sneak into the backyard and smoke some pot. Like yeah. some of this is typical. And so it's balancing that. And it's important to hear those things. Mm -hmm. It is important to hear those things. I remember something that somebody said to me ages ago and here, if you're just getting online and reading horror stories, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because most people are having, who are, who are thriving and having a good experience and just getting on with their lives, they're not spending all their time online complaining about what's going on. So you're only going to get the negative stuff online because the, the people that are, who are the vast majority having a good experience are out living those good experiences. Like right now, I'm getting ready to go on a 4-H outing with my daughter. I'm not sitting online talking about how miserable things are. So that's, 
that's what you have to also do is get a real insider's perspective on the process and the experience and get off the computer and stop reading horror stories. I think you're kind of in this heightened mode of, oh, everything's got to be a result of trauma. Everything's got to be a result of trauma. And so you're hyper on the alert for signs of trauma. And I think just relaxing about that and thinking, it's just a kid. I think, you know, that that's huge. And looking for patterns of behavior, not just those one-offs. You know, right before school started, the first time she was with us, you know, she <laughs> had done all the laundry and I had folded it up nice and neat and put it into her lawn and took it into her room. She immediately just went, and she throws all the laundry into the air. I'm like, whoa. Now, could I say that this is trauma-informed behavior? Well, no, she only did it once. And two, she was super freaked out about starting school the next day. And she was, you know, she wasn't punching the wall. She wasn't, you know, doing any harm to herself. She just threw the laundry over everything. So we sat down and talked about it. Just chill if you can, you know, and, and try, you know, and I think I mentioned this in the support group the other day. One of the advantages of not being, not being a birth parent, I think I can bring in a degree of objectivity. If there's something going on, I feel like I can take a step back and try to look at this objectively and say, hmm, what's really going on? So the school stuff, yeah, we worried about that at first because she was not doing well in school, but then I got this aha moment like, you know, she's just worried about where she's spending the night. She's worried about, you know, will, will this home be forever? She's worried about food. She's worried about these really basic needs being met. And we're worried about whether she knows her multiplication tables. Well, she doesn't give a rip about her multiplication tables right now. So take a chill parent and just let's work with this child where she's at right now. So chill. My last question is why should I do foster to adopt specifically? There are private adoption agencies. You all mentioned international. So why should I take the leap and do a foster to adopt instead? I really appreciated that with foster adoption, you get some history of a child. You can work with that. You can build on that. I also am a huge supporter of older child adoption for the same reason. You have an opportunity to interact with that child where they're at right now. You have some school history, some foster care history. They have a history and they can communicate and it makes it that much easier to work with them. Because when we first met her, our very first car ride with her, she said, are you guys going to adopt me? It's like, ah, you know, talk about just getting right to the chase. And what we explained was this period isn't about us checking her out. This period of time is really about her getting to know us to see if she wants to come and be a part of our family. 
This isn't all about the adults checking you out. It's about you checking us out. And you need to be very honest about if this is going to work for you. You can even get involved with the foster adoption without actually even adopting. You can mentor, you can get involved. So just even going through the training and being such a strong component of our community, I, I think the foster adopt, it's, it's pretty powerful, you know, life-changing for everybody involved. If, if someone is listening and they're in a process of thinking about doing this, then I would say, don't be afraid. Just as simple as that. Don't be afraid mm -hmm. of this. This is not something to be afraid of. It has ups and downs, but it's not a scary process. That, that scariness that's in your head. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of preconceptions about it. And when he's right that finding out the information and learning a little bit more about it, meet some kids who've gone through foster adopt. Mm -hmm. They're not scary. You know, they're just kids. I think that's the thing I can always say that they're just kids. If there were two families that were trying to adopt every child in the foster care system and they were like fighting for those kids, you know, um, we would not have this problem. Like there, there's, there isn't a problem then. there, you know, mm -hmm. the more families we can have doing this, this is how you solve the problem mm -hmm. is we need to have the people who are in the system need to know, Hey, you know what? It doesn't work out. And I pray to God it does work out with the birth parents. I want them to get help. I want them to be successful. Mm -hmm. I want them to be rejoined with their families. That would be amazing. But if it doesn't, I would love to know that the system knows there's a family for that. I mean, sometimes we get these preconceptions of what this might look like, like all this trauma, all these things. And these kids now, not without hurdles, these kids have amazing abilities and talents and skills and they they need a place to belong mm -hmm. and these kids do come in with a history but it but we get to shape their future and that's a big deal i think there are so many amazing kids out there if they were if they're just given a chance another thing that's exciting a little bit about an older child is um even though that child might be five or six or nine mm -hmm. or 10, you're the first one who went to a hotel with them and went on vacation. Yes. You're the first one who ever did the pumpkin patch. You're the first one who, they're like eight and they've never done these things before. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, like, yeah. and like, you're the ones, like you're, yeah. you get to be the first, you get to do, do those fun things. And, I honestly thought there was be some things that we were gonna miss with her because she was a little bit older. No. We didn't miss a thing. No. Like she, there were so many <laughs> things like Christmas time. It was the first time she had had a Christmas tree. tree. She'd never decorated a Christmas tree. And I was like, we get to do that. Like do it, that. Was, it was really exciting, you know? So, so even a, an older child, it's like, you know, you, you have, they have a history, but that history doesn't include sometimes some really normal fun things to yeah. do. So yeah, I mean, there's that too. I, I agree with that too. I totally, there are still even adopting a 10 year old, 
a lot of firsts. Plus, you can make your own traditions that are unique to your family that they will remember. And she's starting to do that now. She'll say, remember that thing we did? And that's such a change from when she would say, I remember when my bio mom and I did. There are so many opportunities for firsts, even with an older child. I am so glad that you brought that up because even as I have worked with uh, potential foster to adopt families in the past, people that did come in for what we call concurrent planning, uh, who were open to helping a child reunify, but were then also going to be be there if that child needed a forever home. One thing that families would bring up would be that concept of, I'm going to have to grieve not having firsts. I'm not going to be there for their first steps, their first words, their their first various other things and so to hear you talking about like no you get to inspire and create other firsts that's so important and so valuable i know informing that family informing that family culture and really just inspiring that change in a child's life Thank you so much. I really appreciate the dialogue that you've had with one another. Thank you. Thank you. Highlighting these family stories was really crucial for us for National Adoption Month. November is a time when we celebrate and we do spend time at the state capitol reading out the names of all the thousands of kids that are waiting to be adopted, that are waiting for their forever home. I hope that we've had a chance to inspire you today. I encourage everyone, as always, to pick up the phone and give us a call at 916-368-5114. What Whitney and Bill and Christina and Darren have really proven to me and hopefully proven to all of you is that we live by our mission, transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and encouraging families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. Please remember to like, comment, and share on all of our social media posts. Get the word out. Spread these stories around. We want the world to hear them. Remember to also visit our website at ssyaf.org so you can learn about foster care, adoption, and our mentorship program through Wonder Mentors. And until we talk to you again, keep on thriving.